We'll be in Romans 12 this morning, as uh, Jason just read from. If you want to just stay there in your Bibles. I did want to, as we get ready to, to d- delve into the Word of God, I wanted to encourage you this week, as vac- Vacation Bible School has already been mentioned, 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock, Monday through Friday, and uh, starting out with serving uh, a meal, and then um, 8 o'clock, concluding with whatever is last. A lot of work has gone into these, to, this, to the preparation for this event. We appreciate all of them, all of you who have labored to prepare for it. We want to invite you this week, if you're able to come um, any of the nights, um, extra hands are always helpful. And in addition to that, we have a, we'll have a prayer room in the back here that will be open throughout the week, that if you're here and there's not anything to be done physically, that you can be in that, in that room back there just praying for the event. And um, we, we minimize that sometimes, but that actually is probably more important than anything else that's taking place is, is uh, lifting up our voices to the Lord and asking him to participate in the process. So um, throughout the week, again, five o'clock to eight o'clock is the event, and you can be here participating physically or uh, spiritually in, in that uh, warfare of prayer. And so come and join us this week and you will be blessed by being here, and you will also be a blessing by being here as well. We continue our study on the church. Um, we, found ourselves, uh, we find ourselves this week dealing with spiritual gifts. Uh, we dealt with them a little bit in the last few weeks, and we're coming close to where I think we'll conclude the uh, study on spiritual gifts. But we really want to understand a little bit about these gifts. As I mentioned from the very beginning, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of teaching on these things. And and there are some differences uh, among solid people in regards to spiritual gifts, how they manifest themselves, how they work themselves out. And um, uh, good people on different sides of the um, spectrum when it comes to spiritual gifts. And we want to understand them the best that we can from God's word and begin to put them into practice. The main goal of spiritual gifts is that we function in the body of Christ in such a way as to bring glory to him and to bring unity in the body. And each individual that's here has a special gift that has been given to them for the purpose of bringing unity and and helping function within the body of Christ. Uh, Last week, we looked at a few essentials. As you can see, the title of the message this morning is Essentials um, of Spiritual Gifts. On the back of your bulletin, uh, there's a place for notes. Um, But also, these are keys, uh, keys in which we can unlock our spiritual gifts or we can begin to um, actively pursue God using us to manifest his spirit through us in in the church or, or through the church and in the community that is around us. And we want to be reminded that the use of our spiritual gift is not our functioning in the Spirit's power, but it is is the Spirit of God accomplishing His purpose by His power and for His glory through our bodies. Our body is simply a conduit through which God accomplishes His will and His purposes. Now, oftentimes, people look at spiritual gifts as us functioning to accomplish our goals and to accomplish our purposes and to accomplish our will in the Spirit's power. And so at the end of the day, we have accomplished what we've wanted to accomplish, and maybe we thank the Lord for participating or for helping in that process. But that is not what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is God's spirit living inside of an individual and him working out his will, working out his purpose, working out his work and his goals through us, through our bodies. And again, we're that conduit by which and through which God accomplishes his purpose in this world. And we talked last week about how God manifested himself in the Old Testament in the temple and in the tabernacle. And he he manifested himself in the Holy of Holies. And he manifested himself through people with theophanies and and presented himself to people in different ways in in the burning bush. And God presented himself in those ways in the Old Testament. 
In the New Testament, in the Gospels, God presented himself to mankind in his son, Jesus Christ. And we saw a physical expression where we saw God, the son. We saw God through and in his son. And now we see God in and through his church. And our responsibility and our purpose is to be a manifestation of the glory of God by the purpose or for the purpose or through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. When we get to this place as a church where people are humbly and passionately seeking for the Spirit of God to accomplish his will through them, a few things will happen. Number one is there'll be no, no one who is inactive. Um, the body of Christ will be totally active because the Spirit of God is working through each individual in the body. There'll be little complaining or praising of men. Matter of fact, one of the reasons why the church is, is inundated today with, with much complaining and, 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 and grumbling in, in, in many cases is that people are seeking to accomplish their purpose and their plans and not wanting, desiring, pursuing the Holy Spirit to accomplish his purpose and his plans. And when that happens, we often get in the way of what God is trying to do. In the same way, really no different than what the children of Israel did in the Old Testament when they murmured and complained about everything that God was accomplishing in and through them. They constantly stood in the way of what God was going to do and it ended up being difficult for them. Also, when we get to the place where we're manifesting the Spirit of God, there will be much happening in the body of Christ in his church and there will be a great reason for us to live lives that are thankful to God and glorifying to him. I'm reminded of what John 15, verse four and five say, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. We see this played out for us very strongly in the book of Acts. Acts is the infant stage of the church. It's really the beginning of the New Testament church in which the Holy Spirit falls down on God's people, assembled together, and begins to manifest his, the Holy Spirit's glory through that, through that people. Um, some title the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles, and, and others title it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The reason for it is, is the book of Acts is really a, a work after work of the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in and through the church. It's in this state, the church in the book of Acts is in this state of simplicity. It's in a state of sacrifice. You read in Acts chapter number two where people are selling their goods and they're giving their goods to the church that they might minister to other people. There's a unity and a simplicity and a, a sacrifice that's within the church that's taking place daily. And because of that, the Holy Spirit is working magnificently through the church. And, and sometimes when we look at the magnificent works in the book of Acts, like the speaking in tongues and the, and the miracles and the healings, we, we see all of those things, but we often overlook the fact that the true miracles in the book of Acts was 3,000 people getting saved at one event. It's a, the spiritual miracles were far more significant than the external miracles. Matter of fact, the, the physical miracles were simply a product of what the Holy Spirit was doing in and through the church during that time. And we place so much emphasis on those physical things because those things are things that, for the most part, we strive for because they bring glory to self. When the Lord wants us to focus on those spiritual things, when the Spirit of God fell, the apostles spoke the gospel with boldness. When the Spirit of God fell, people spoke in languages that weren't their own. For what purpose? That the gospel might go forth. That the gospel might be spread into all the world. Many theologians believe in Matthew 24 and verse 14, the Bible says that the gospel will go into all the earth and then the end will come. 
And many theologians believe that that took place in the book of Acts, that the gospel was presented to the entire world and that then they were dispersed and sent to their own home, to their own people. We are the conduit of the glory of God and the manifestation of his spirit. And as we live in unity and as we live in simplicity and as we live in in sacrifice, the spirit of God begins to work through us and manifest his glory and things begin to happen. You can only go a few, uh, one book past or a couple of books past the book of Acts to 1 Corinthians and you see the exact opposite where you see, you see um, infighting in the church and you, you see a lack of unity and a lack of simplicity and a lack of harmony and you see a, a lack of that same power. The Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians deals, deals almost solely with just problems in the church. Even when you get to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which are about the Spirit working, it is about a problem with how they viewed the Spirit's working. We need to get back to a place where we are passionate about the simple things of the Lord and his church, that he might manifest his glory, that he might work through his people, that he might glorify himself through us. Matthew 13 and verse 58, the scripture says about Jesus coming to his own people and not being able or Maybe another, a better word for it is not being willing to perform many miracles. And here's what he says. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Because they lacked faith in the Lord. They were, the Lord refused to do great things amongst them. I think as a people, uh, Americans, if you will, that we're seeing that decline in our own country where the power of God and the presence of God is becoming less and less evident. And we're seeing a revival taking place in some other places in the world where Christianity is still very simple. The gospel is still very simple. The sacrifice is still, is still very real for those who want to truly be followers of Jesus Christ. In, in our culture, we don't have that same sacrifice demanded of us. So therefore, where the sacrifice is not demanded, the commitment becomes less. It becomes cheapened. Where the love of God is cheapened, the commitment of God's people will also be cheapened as well. With this in mind, we're going, we're going to look this morning, a, a little bit of review, but primarily we're going to look at eight attitudes that, that guard or guide our, our spiritual gifts Eight attitudes that are in Romans chapter number 12 that are, are there to encourage and motivate us and, and um, kind of be a guardian to, to how we function within our gifts. But before we get there, let me give you a little, little bit of review. And again, remember, these are things that are keys for us to unlock our spiritual gifts and to be able to use them for the glory of God. The first word, we didn't look at this last week, but we'll look at this week, is the word safety. There's a caution to using our spiritual gifts. There's a caution to using our spiritual gifts. And that caution is, is found in the scriptures, and, and, and it is warned about uh, primarily in 1 Corinthians 14, but also in other passages of scripture. And that is the misuse of our spiritual gift. Uh, not only do we have the misuse of our spiritual gift, but we have the manufacturing of spiritual gifts. I think we see that a lot today where people are manufacturing. In, in, in other words, people are doing things um, publicly or, or whatever might be the case and um, claiming that it's a miracle and, and, then, and then giving credit to the Lord for the miracle that took place. And ultimately, it was not a miracle that took place at all more of a deception that took place. And this is the manufacturing of spiritual gifts or using these spiritual gifts to bring glory and honor to self. We wanna be guarded. There's a, there's a safety to not manufacture spiritual gifts or uh, to not use spiritual gifts for self-promotion. There's also a danger when the Holy Spirit does work through us 
or desire to work through us that we resist that or that we allow him to work through us and we don't give him credit. We don't honor him, we don't thank him for the work that he's accomplished through us. And we're reminded in uh, James 1.17, the Bible says every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It's important that when the Holy Spirit works through us that we honor him, that we glorify him, that we praise him for what he has accomplished. It's also equally important that we don't credit the Holy Spirit for things that he does not do, that we don't distort the spiritual gifts and, 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 and then try to praise him or drag him into the manifestation that has been presented in, a, in, in many ways a blasphemous way. There's a, there's a caution to dragging the Holy Spirit. In, in the scriptures, they, the Lord calls this blasphemy. Blasphemy is something that the Lord speaks against. It's, it's really the unpardonable sin that we, that we blaspheme the Holy Spirit is the un, unpardonable sin. And blasphemy is when we drag the Holy Spirit, we drag the name of the Lord into things that he's not involved in, or we kick him out of things that he is involved in. When the Lord accomplishes something, he deserves praise. And when the Lord does not accomplish things, he needs to be left out of those things. We need to be careful when it comes to manufacturing our own desires, manifesting our own desires, and then giving credit to the Lord for the sake of selfish gain. We talked last week about submission. The text says in verse number one that we're to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're to give our bodies to the Lord. He, he is to be able to use our bodies as a conduit of, of his glory or for his glory. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 4, verse seven and eight, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths but rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27, that he was in a race. He understood that life was a race. It wasn't a sprint, but it was a, it was a long race. It was a marathon but Paul also understood this, that he had to beat down his body. The, the text says that he, he, he literally beat down or he, he, he put his body into submission so that he could accomplish the things that God had called him to accomplish. We must be physically ready to do whatever God calls us to do. I once had a missionary friend tell me this, and we were just talking about physical things, talking about our, 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 how, what kind of condition we are in physically. And this missionary friend said to me, he said, he said, John, he said, I just want to be ready for whatever God calls me to do. And he was just talking about his condition. He was talking about if God called me to go to a place, I wanna be able to go to that place. I don't want to have to tell God, God, wait until I can get this in order or that in order. I, I want to be ready to be able to go to whatever place or whatever God calls me to do. So our bodies have to be, we have to see our bodies as a sacrifice for the work of God, for the glory of God, for the manifestation of his spirit. And we make sacrifices like an athlete makes sacrifices so that he can run the race and that he can win the race. Oh, that we would be able to get a hold of our calling and our purpose in this world. That it's far greater than any athlete. It's far greater than the Olympic athletes. Far greater than the professional athletes. That we would get a hold of the fact that we are servants of the most high God. And that we give our bodies physically, we give our bodies so that the Holy Spirit of God might work through it for the manifestation of his glory and his strength and his power. We talked about sanctification. Our minds also need to be set apart or set aside for the Lord's use. He says in verse number two that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. 
We've set our minds apart. We've set our bodies apart so that God can use us for his glory and by his grace. Remember that we're conduits. Back in Nebraska, every, every fall, the, the leaves fall to the ground. And, and uh, in Nebraska, one of, the, one of the more common jobs that people can do is the cleaning out of gutters. And pretty much every year they clean those gutters out because if they don't clean those gutters out, when the, when the snow comes and when the ice comes and they're all full with all this clutter, then it gets very heavy and they begin to collapse. So they always clean them out right before winter hits. They clean those gutters out so that there's a, there's a pure conduit for which that water can run down and out of those pipes. In the same way, that's what we are. We're... we're we're just simply making sure that there's this clear conduit, this clear path when it comes to our minds and our bodies that, that the Holy Spirit of God can manifest himself through us. We want to be usable. We want to be the right type of screwdriver or hammer or whatever God decides to use us for. We want to be ready to be used in that way. I remember back home going into my, I, I'm not much of a handyman, but I remember going into my, my toolbox every once in a while and I would pull a hammer out and, and the, the head of that hammer would be broken or there'd be a piece just cut off and I would put that hammer back and I would go and look for another hammer that was, that was complete and that could be used. And the same principle applies to us to, to be ready not just physically, yes, to be ready physically, to be set aside physically, to be pure in your bodies, not to be committed to immorality, not to be focused on giving your body to the things of this world, but to be committed to giving your bodies to the Lord, to, to be in the best uh, case that you can be in for God's use physically and then also mentally. We fill our minds with the things of the, of the word of God, that when the Lord chooses or seeks to use us in a situation that we're ready to be used. Sanctification of the mind. The Bible says in Romans 8, 6 through 8, for to set your minds on the flesh is death, but to set your minds on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it is, does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we set ourselves apart. Clean gutters, clean vessels is what we want to be for the Lord's work. It doesn't make us more usable. We don't glorify ourselves for being clean. He's, he's still the one that's doing the work. We're just cleaning the filter out so that it flows, so it flows without, without, without much resistance. I often think of the life of Jonah, right? Jonah did what God called him to do, but it wasn't easy, was it? Jonah's, Jonah's filter was clogged up. He ended up trying to go the wrong way. He ended up in, a belly, in the, a belly of a fish. He ends up being vomited out. I mean, he went through a disaster, but he ended up doing what God wanted. God ended up using him. It just was painful for him to do it. Number three, we looked at sobriety or, or humility. When we look at our, our spiritual gifts, consider our spiritual gifts, we must always remain humble, that it is the Lord's work. He is working through us. It is his power. It is his strength. It is his will. It is his idea. It is his wisdom. It is all about him working through us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 talks about the fact that our gifts are given to us as gifts and they should be received as a gift, and we should never boast in them as if they weren't a gift. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, that he would glory more so in his, that he would glory more so in his weaknesses because it is in his weaknesses that he is made strong. It is in his weaknesses that the power of Christ rests upon him. In other words, folks, it's when, we're, it's when we're humble that God uses us. It's when we're broken that God uses us. It's when we're empty that God uses, uses us. It's when we're incapable that God uses us. When we stand before him and say, Lord, there's nothing that I can do. You must do the work through me. This is when God intervenes 
and does an amazing work. The last thought this morning, and there are eight subpoints, so don't get too excited. We're not there yet, but join me on the journey. This is where we're at in, the, in this study here in Romans 12. This is the, the standpoint or the perspective or our, our attitude towards our spiritual gift. How, how do we view our spiritual gifting? And the Apostle Paul, in this text, as well as one other text that we'll look at, he gives us eight things that should govern our spiritual gifts. Eight things that should govern or guide our spiritual gifts. And this is about our actions. We talked about our body. We talked about our mind. We talked about our humility. Now we're going to talk about our actions. How how do we look at our spiritual gifting? How do we view it? The Apostle Paul gives us these eight things. He says, beginning in in verse number um, six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Okay, so he says, if you have a gift that God has given you by grace, uh, then use it. Use the gift that God has given you. And, um, and that often is the way that we find out what our gift is. It's simply by using it. It's by being involved. One of our prayer warriors this morning in our Sunday morning prayer meeting said this, VBS is a great time when we can find out where we're gifted. I agree wholeheartedly. It's an opportunity to be involved and to see what God has called us to do. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he talks about different gifts that are given. Now, I want you to know that in this, he uses, he talks about seven seven different gifts, but he talks about seven different attitudes towards those gifts. My understanding of this text is that those attitudes are, should guide all of our spiritual gifts, not just those spiritual gifts. In other words, he talks about if you're a leader to lead with zeal, my interpretation is, is whatever spiritual gift you have, you should have zeal towards it. If you have the gift of prophecy, you should prophesy according, with your, according to your faith. My interpretation of it is whatever spiritual gift you have, it should be in accordance with your faith. Amen. That this is a guide to how we should view spiritual gifts, period, not just the specific spiritual gift that is connected in the text to the attitude, okay? So that's how we're going to look at it. Whatever spiritual gift you have, these are attitudes, these are things that should govern how we, how we act towards or in our spiritual gifting. He says, first of all, if prophecy in proportion to your faith, Okay, and faith here in the text, the word simply means a set or a system of beliefs. In other words, as we function within our spiritual gift, the thing that should be guiding our use of it is our system of belief or who our God is. What should guide our spiritual gifts is how big, how significant, how powerful is our God. We should not find, when talking about our spiritual gifts, limitations or minimization of who our God is, but we should maximize who our God is. We should see him as being great. We should see him as being capable. We should see him as being powerful to accomplish whatever he wishes to accomplish in us and through us. Faith is what we believe in. And he says here that we should function in our spiritual gifts in proportion to our faith or how big our faith is. And it's not necessarily referring to how big your faith is, but how big your God is. Turn with me to 1 Peter, if you will, in your Bibles. First Peter chapter four and verse number 11. The Bible says whoever speaks, and notice what he's talking about here is whoever has the spiritual gift of speaking, 
Okay, whoever has a spiritual gift of speaking, let, a, let him speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. In other words, let him speak with boldness and let him speak with confidence as if God is speaking through him. Let him speak as if he speaks the oracles of God. Now, we, we know that those who speak the oracles of God are those who speak what God's word says. The, the guide for whether somebody is speaking the oracles of God is, are they speaking the word of God? But when somebody speaks the word of God and somebody is gifted with, this, with the uh, gifting of speaking the word of God, let them speak as if they speak in the place of God. This is to see God as, as big and as amazing. Those who speak, let them speak with boldness and with confidence as if they spoke the oracles of God. He goes on to say, whoever serves, let him serve as if he's serving in the power and strength that God supplies. In, in other words, when we serve people, let us, let us not serve people in our own strength, in our own power, in our own abilities, but let us go beyond that. Let us serve as if, let us serve as if it is God's power serving somebody through us. As if God is, God is the one who is the active source in that service. God is the one who is the active source in that preaching or teaching. God is the active participant in your spiritual gift and you are the passive participant in that spiritual gift but you should see it. You should be able to visualize that God is working through you. God is the one who is doing, doing the work through you. Folks, listen, when we think about God being the, part, the active participant in our spiritual gifts, are there any limitations to what we can do if God works it through us? When we are the active participant in our spiritual gifts and someone comes up to me and says, hey, can you teach this class or can you do this? Our answer is immediately what? It's to think about, do I have the ability? It's not about whether you have the ability to do what God is asking you or calling you to do. It's about whether you're available it's not about ability, it's about availability because it's not going to be you doing it, it's going to be, it's going to be him doing it. And listen, folks, when he does it, it, it's way better anyway, right? Things happen when God works through us and in us. So the first thing that should guide, listen, the first thing that should guide the use of our spiritual gift is our view of God, our perspective of God, how, how big is our God? How significant is our God? We walk around as Christians on eggshells like everything's gonna fall apart. Listen, everything's not gonna fall apart. Our God is sovereign. He's in control of everything that's happening in this world. He's in control of everything that's happening in your life. You can function in a way that is completely bold for the glory of God, knowing that God is big. Let us function in our spiritual gifts in proportion to how big our God is. The proportion of our faith, let us function in the reality of a big God. And that there is nothing that he can't do through us if he so chooses to do something through us. I read this quote a couple of weeks ago. He said, William Carey said, Attempt great, things for, from, uh, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. And as I mentioned when I read this before, I'm, I appreciate the order of that. Too many people expect great things from God, but they're not willing to attempt great things from God. They wanna see. Lord, let me see and then I'll believe. And the Lord's like, believe and then you'll see. The world says, See and believe. God says, believe and see. Amen. We attempt things for God. We get out there. Whatever God puts in our path, whatever God offers to us to do, we get out there and we put ourselves on the line. We give our bodies and our minds as a living sacrifice. And guess what God does? He takes our, our frail, frail, empty uh, 
worthless offering and he makes something great out of it, right? He takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds 5,000 people with it. I think for most of us today, we would be having that five loaves and two fishes and sitting in the back of the, back of the building being like, oh, there's nothing that can, God can do with this, right? He's like, hey, I've given you that. I've given you this gift. I've given you my spirit to live within you to do great things. Not that you do great things, but he does great things through you. I've given that. Offer it to me. Give it back to me. And watch what I can do with, some, with five loaves and two fishes. Watch what I can do with a shepherd named David who is really a nobody. When they called to line up his brothers to be king, he wasn't even invited. Watch what I can do with a David. That's what God does. But listen, folks, we've got to view what God has called us to do. We've got to view him as being big. We've got to view him in light of what he's capable of doing. I think of Hebrews chapter number 11, one of the greatest books of faith in the Bible. And you know what we call this? We call that um, chapter the chapter of faith, right? The hall of faith, right? Listen, folks, that chapter is about an extraordinary God. That's what it's about. It's about a group of people who found faith in an extraordinary God and nothing, nothing was going to get in their way. Right? We need to view our spiritual gift. We need to view what God is doing through us in light of who he is, not in light of who we are. If we can get a hold of this, folks, it'll change the way we are used by God and it will change the way we pray to God. James 5 and verse 16, the Bible says, the prayer of a righteous man has great power in its working. First of all, we've got to view our gifting through the eyes of faith. Who is God? How big is he? What's he capable of? What does he want to accomplish? How does he want to use me in that process? But view it from the perspective of who God is and not from the limitations of who you are. Number two, the second attitude we must have towards our spiritual gift, the first one is faith. Do it in accordance with our faith. Number two is found in verse number seven. If serving in our service, the second attitude towards our Spiritual gift is that we are serving. Our spiritual gift is meant to be a service to others. Every spiritual gift, note this, okay? Every spiritual gift is meant to be a service to others. Matter of fact, anytime, 1 Corinthians 14 is a good reference, that spiritual gifts became about self, immediately the Spirit of God rebukes that. The, spirit, the this use of spiritual gifts is never about the, the promotion of self, but the use of gifts is always about the serving of other people. Amen. Always about ministering to other people. So when we think about our spiritual gift, we think about, hey, how can I serve other people? How am I serving other people now, in this moment how am I serving? 1 Peter 4.10, and each of you has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. Galatians 5 and verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh, right? But through love, serve one another another. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, but though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. God has given us a gift and that gift is for the purpose of ministering and serving other people. It's interesting, the word that's used here for, for servant is the word in which we get our English word deacon from. It's to serve people. It's interesting that in some ways we're all deacons. 
We're all serving each other. When we look at our spiritual gift, ask ourselves the question, in what way is God asking me to serve other people? And again, may I submit to you that if you look at your spiritual gift and it serves you, it may not be a spiritual gift. It's not meant to serve you. It's meant to serve each other. God has given it to you to minister to others, not for your own self-glorification, because obviously the Holy Spirit wants or deserves glory alone. Go on with me. If serving, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the third, the third principle that should guide our um, spiritual gifting is teaching or instruction, that we're to be using our spiritual gift, Paul, Paul tells Timothy, to be an example to the believers. We're to use our spiritual gift in a way as ministering instruction as well to others or, or discipling other people. Your spiritual gift should not only be affecting others in that you're serving them, but it should be affecting those who have the same spiritual gift that you do in ministering a help on how to use it. This is what discipleship is. Our spiritual gift being a tool to teach others about their spiritual gift. And when we see people functioning in their spiritual gift, it is helpful to us to understanding and, and, then, and possibly then to pursuing what God has for us in that spiritual gift. So teaching, our spiritual gifts are there to be a teacher to be an example to those who are around us. He goes on to say, in service, uh, in serving, those who teach in his teaching and the one who exhorts in his exhortation. The third thing is, is, is encouragement. Our spiritual gifts are there, they're meant to encourage. Ephesians 4.29, the Bible says, let no corrupt communication or no corrupt words come out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of building up. As is fitting for the occasion that you might, that you might minister grace to those who are hearing you. Spiritual gifts are meant to be an encouragement to those around us, to be a blessing to them, to uplift them and, and unify them. When we think about our spiritual gifts, we should think about how can I be an encouragement to somebody in this situation or in this circumstance. He goes on to say, the one who exhorts in exhortation or encouragement, the one who contributes or the one who is gifted in giving in generosity. And again, I would say that generosity should be a, a guide for all of our spiritual gifts. Whatever spiritual gift God has given you, you should be generous with it. You should be, you should be giving of yourself, whether it be your money, which that's what some people are gifted with, the giving of money, some people are gifting with the giving of their time and in, in many ways that we're gifted, but whatever way God has gifted us spiritually, we should be generous with what God has gifted us with. He even says this to his disciples, speaking about the, the, the uh, gifting that he gave them back in Matthew 10, the apostolic gifts, where he gave them the ability to cast out demons and to heal the sick, Right? He gave them this ability to do these things. And here's what he tells them. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. He says, you receive without paying, give without paying. In other words, God has given you a gift. God has blessed you with a certain gifting that you're to be generous with so that other people can, can, can be blessed by your gifting. And, and it's not for your glory, but it, it's for his glory. In 2 Corinthians 8, there's a church that's blessed with the gift of giving, and the Bible says that they pleaded with the apostle that they could give even out of the um, fact that they were in great poverty. They were very generous with their giving. We go on down throughout the text. The Bible says, the one who leads, let him lead with zeal, and again, I think that this governs all of our spiritual gifts. I think we should be diligent in all of our spiritual gifts. We should have an excitement or a passion towards our spiritual gifts that, that drives us into the use of them, drives us into the perfection of them, drives us into the application 
of those spiritual gifts. We should be zealous for what God has called us to do and what God is using us to do. We should be excited about it. We should be talking about it. And what is God using you to do right now? What is God, how is God manifesting his spirit through you right now in ministering and blessing and encouraging other people? And you have to ask, honestly, you have to stop and you have to ask yourself that question. That's the, that's the question. How is God using me right now? How is God manifesting himself through me right now? And, 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 am, I, am, I, and am I excited about that? Am I eager for that? Or, or is it just a, a, another event? 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 31, or 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 31, the Bible says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire. It means to be zealous for, to be excited about, to be diligent towards these spiritual gifts to be working with them, um, uh, using them so that they might grow and glorify him. Next of all, we have joy. He says if your gift is, um, uh, let's go back here. Um, He says, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness or, or with joy, the one who is gifted with the acts of mercy And again, I think that in some ways we're all gifted with acts of mercy. We should all be performing acts of mercy, that we should do it with joy. Cheerfulness should guide our spiritual gifting. For some people, it is responsibility, it is law that guides their service to the Lord. It's it's like there are these rules and regulations that I have to do because God's word lays them out for me. Remember this, folks, the Bible teaches us that the new covenant is not that we have a list of rules and regulations that we have to follow, right? All of those things have been satisfied in and through Jesus Christ. We no longer have to live according to rules and regulations so that the Lord will be happy with us. He's happy with us because of what Jesus did. We live in accordance with the Lord. We live in, in, in submission and humility towards him because we want to, because his spirit now lives inside of us. It's joy. It's joyful to live in submission and surrender to God's will. It's something that we get to do. Philippians tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The word rejoice here, the the Greek word literally translated is the word hilarious. It's something that we laugh to be able to do. He talks about in 2 Corinthians about giving. He says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And the idea there is that hilarious, that that, that joy, that, 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 that excitement about what God is doing in us and what God is doing through us. We get excited about a lot of things in, the, in this world today, don't we? We get excited about sports. We get excited about activities and events. We get excited about fun things. We get excited about a lot of things, but the question again is, are we excited about what God is doing through us? Are we excited about what the creator of the universe is using us to accomplish to manifest his will and to glorify his name. Joy should govern our spiritual gift, not rules and regulations. The last thing that governs our spiritual gift is found in 1 Corinthians 13. You're familiar with it. The, the, it's the love chapter. And you'll find, you find sandwich right between the, the chapter 12 on spiritual gifts and chapter 14 on the, the misuse of spiritual gifts, you, you find sandwich in the middle, love should govern our spiritual gift. In, in other words, when you, when you manifest the spirit of God, you should be manifesting his spirit in love. He's like, if you have all the spiritual gifts that the, that the, if you have the greatest spiritual gift to, to speak in different tongues and to, or different languages and you, you have the ability to have great faith and you have, you have the ability to move mountains with your great faith but you don't have love, you, you become worthless. Love should govern our spiritual gift. Love should guide our spiritual gift. 
when we're thinking about encouraging people, when we're thinking about serving people, when we're thinking about doing all of these things that should be guided by and governed by our love for those people. Nobody wants to be helped by someone that doesn't love them or care for them, but many people will receive help from somebody who loves them and cares for them. So love should guide, should govern our spiritual gifts. Love should be the foundation for which we are used by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, so, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So my challenge to you guys this morning as we think about our spiritual gifting, we think about surrendering our bodies getting our bodies in a condition where God can use us, surrendering our minds, filling our minds with things that God can use so that we're prepared and equipped to do what he wants us to do. Being humble about whatever God does through us, knowing at the end of the day it's his work, not ours, and he gets the glory and we don't. And then having the right mindset, having the right perspective on our spiritual gifts, knowing that God is big and great, that everything that is that he is doing is going to be in service to others. It's going to be encouraging. It's going to be generous. It's going to be, uh, we're going to be, ex- should be excited about it and full of joy. And it, and it should be guided by, by ultimately by love for those people and for the Lord. What is the greatest commandment of all? We love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what is the second commandment that is close to the first? Love our neighbors as ourselves. So God has given us his spirit and he says, I'm gonna love your neighbor for you and through you. I'm gonna encourage them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to share the truth with them boldly. I'm gonna do all of these things through you. Be a vessel that is ready to be used. Be a, be a pure vessel. Be a clean vessel. Be an equipped vessel that whatever God chooses to use you to do, you're ready to be used. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you do take us, Lord, in our frailties and our weaknesses, and you use us to manifest your glory and to accomplish your will. You work through us, and we thank you for that, and we pray that you will continue to do that work. We pray for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy in our lives, and um, just pray that you would use the truths of your word to challenge and encourage our hearts that we might uh, glorify you in all that we say and do. We give you the thanks and the praise for it in Christ's name.